and welcome to the Inspired Jewish Woman Podcast. I absolutely love and value that you are here with us right now, and I hope you will hear something on today's episode that will touch your heart and soul in a beautiful way. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, everyone. Happy Purim. We're going to jump in, learn a little bit about this story because it's been a full year since we've all had Purim. So let's just start with a little bit of background information on the Megillat Esther, the scroll of Esther and the story that unfolds. So a little bit of context. So this story takes place about 900 years after the Jews leave Egypt. So just let's go back in time to the leader, Moses, taking the Jewish people through the splitting sea into the desert for 40 years. They reach the land of Israel. Moses does not merit to go into the land. His student, Joshua, takes over. Moses dies. The Jewish nation enters Israel finally. And then they have these wonderful years where they live in Jerusalem with the Holy Temple. I think it was 430 years when they had the tabernacle and possibly another 410 years where they had the temples. So we know about that very peaceful time of tranquility within the Jewish people. And we were very connected to God. God's presence, his Shekhinah rested amongst us. And then trouble starts. And it obviously always starts when there's division. So there's division of the kingdoms, the North and the South in Israel, split and it consisted of, you know, 10 of the 12 tribes were in the Northern Kingdom. And that was invaded by Assyrians under Sancherev. And the Jews at that time were exiled and assimilated. So less than a hundred years later, the Babylonians under the wicked, evil Nebuchadnezzar comes into Israel, invades it destroys the temple and exiles the remaining tribes, the two remaining tribes, Yehuda and Binyamin, okay? And they exile them to Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. And at this time, we have prophets. We had the prophet Jeremiah, Yermiyahu, who predicted all of this was going to happen. And he also said that, don't worry, do teshuva, repent. The Jews will return to Israel and we will rebuild our temples in the homeland. And he even puts a date to it. He says that we're going to rebuild it 70 years after its destruction. And many did not believe this prophecy. And the Jews quickly acclimated to the conditions of the exile in Babylon and the neighboring Persia. And here we are. So the Persian Empire, okay, eventually takes over Babylon under the ruler Ahasuerus. Ahasuerus miscalculated, and he believed that the 70-year deadline of the prediction, the prophet Jeremiah's prediction, had already passed, and the Jews were doomed to remain in exile. So since the Jews had outlived all other previous empires like Egypt and the Canaanites and the Assyrians, Babylonians, right, he was convinced that this was the eternal empire. And he had a big ego. That's the one thing we know about Ahasuerus. So to celebrate this victory, he throws a huge party. This party lasted for six months. He used the holy vessels of our temple that Nebuchadnezzar had looted when he destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. Tragedy. He's using the vessels of our temple and he invites the Jewish people to come participate in this celebration. And the Jews come and they're celebrating. They're celebrating, in essence, 
their own downfall as a Jewish nation. They're giving acknowledgement to King Ahasuerus' victory over them. And this was a terrible, terrible thing. And honestly, this sin nearly caused the subsequent nearly fatal threat to the Jewish people. So here we are. We just set the stage. Now we enter with the Megillah. Okay. And it starts off with King Ahasuerus of Persia. He rules over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. He has this huge feast for all the kingdom of Shushan. He asks his wife, Queen Vashti, to parade undressed, naked in front of all his guests, and she refuses. He gets angry, has her killed. Obviously, when he realizes the next morning, when he wakes up and he sobers up, he realizes what he has done, and he's now queenless. He is devastated. And his workers, the young people that were with him, they said, why don't you throw a beauty pageant? Choose your next wife, right? And then we have this four-year beauty pageant to find the new queen. So enter Esther. Esther comes in and she is in hiding. She is an orphan girl who is living in her uncle Mordechai's house. And she is found and taken to the palace to be part of this beauty pageant. Everyone had to show up. And she does not want to be there. She is such a holy, pure girl. She keeps her identity a secret. Everyone is all the other maidens. All the other girls are perfuming themselves and and getting themselves manicures, pedicures, treatments to be so beautiful. All she wants is to keep track of each day of the week so she'll know when Shabbat is. So she had seven maids and each maid she named a day of the week so she knew which day was Shabbat and no one suspected her of being Jewish. And that maid got to rest on Shabbat. She was just a pure holy girl in the wrong place. So there's a lot going on, right? And we know the story. We've read the story a million times over, but there's a lot of the hands of God, HP. This whole book, this whole scroll is clearly the hands of God in every single way. So Mordechai overhears that two guards are planning to assassinate the king. He tells Esther the plot. This gets to the king. It's recorded in in the royal chronicles, but the king forgets about it. And then we have Haman that enters the scene, the royal prime minister, completely full of himself. And everyone is supposed to bow down to Haman and Mordechai refuses. And Haman is enraged. He has so much honor. Everyone is honoring him. But one man, Mordechai, the Jew, is not going to bow down to him. And he can't, like nothing is good. Nothing is good for him because that one Jew, and it drives him insane. And there's a lot going on behind the scenes, right? Haman goes to the king and offers a ransom to buy the Jews, saying that they're of no good use to be left alive anyways. He's saying, we're going to make up for lost taxes once they will be killed. He's promising the king all these things. And here's some of the words that he uses, the language he uses. He says in Hebrew, There exists a nation who are spread between the nations. And this word yeshno is the same root as the word yoshen or yashan, which means to be asleep. And Haman is hinting to Ahasuerus that now is the opportune time to attack the Jews as they're sleeping, meaning they're asleep from their spirituality. They're asleep with having a relationship with their creator. They're not in a strong place. They're sleeping. Now is a good time to come in. See, Haman and Ahasuerus knew that the Jews had power. But if you're going to get them, get them at their weak, their weak moment. And right now, I mean, with this party going on and the Jews celebrating their own downfall, clearly this was the time to come in at their weak 
moment and wipe them out. So Mordechai, he hears the terrible news. He puts on sackcloth. He fasts. He prays. He's crying out against the terrible decree. And he goes to the palace gates where Esther hears what's going on. And Mordechai, he tells her, Esther, you have been given this privilege to be the queen and you need to utilize it immediately. You need to go into the king and beg him to annul this decree. And of course, Esther is so afraid. Anyone that would approach the king without being called upon could be put to death. And it had been a long time since the king had called her. And she fears that maybe the king doesn't like her anymore. And Mordechai rebukes her with confidence. And he says that she has this opportunity to step up and save the Jews. However, if she does not utilize it, the salvation will come about from somewhere else. It's almost like this reverse psychology that he's using on her. This is like Esther's call to action. She hears it. She decides, okay, I'm going to risk my life. I'm going to go to the king. I'm going to fast for three days. I'm going to pray, get the whole nation to fast and pray. And she goes into the king's chambers and she finds favor in the king's eyes. And she invites him, the king, and Haman to a party at her palace. Now, this is very interesting because what we learn here about Esther is she's not afraid of going down in history as someone that had an affair with Haman, right? Think about Ahasuerus. He is an immoral man. If his wife is inviting one other man to the party, you would think his brain would start saying, well, what's going on between Haman and Esther? She couldn't care less. She was taking risks. She was doing what was right. And she stood in her integrity. She didn't let her mind go to places of like, well, what if this? And what if that? No, no, no. She's just standing there with God by her side in her faith with her prayers and her fasting. You know, when you fast, you're not looking so great, by the way, right? You're weak and you're exhausted. She didn't care. It was God. And it was the chain that she had that made her so, so beautiful to the king. Confidence is really beautiful. Godliness is really beautiful. Ahasuerus and Haman, they come to this party. Esther is still fasting. When questioned by Ahasuerus, she avoids the topics and she invites him to another party the next day. So after this party, Haman leaves. He's in a great mood, but on his way home, he meets Mordechai, who once again refuses to bow down to him. And even though so much is going so well for Haman, he just came from a personal party with the king and the queen. He is fuming mad because he is so in his ego. Haman is all about covered honor, getting more honor, lust, desires, jealousy. He couldn't take it. And he goes home to his family and he tells his family that everything is worthless as long as this one Jew is still around. And his wife has this great plan. Let's put up a huge plank, 50 amotai, so, so tall, like two houses tall. Can't get that piece of wood at Home Depot. A huge plank should be erected and they're going to hang Mordechai from it. And that will be his revenge. So here comes the very amazing turning point in the Megillah. It's that night that Haman is up all night putting up this gallow for Mordechai. And that night, Ahasuerus can't sleep. There's something that seems just fishy about Haman and Esther. And he just has this feeling that someone wishes to assassinate him. He can't work it out. He calls for his book of remembrance, opens it up to the exact page that writes that Mordechai, the Jew who had once saved his life, had not yet been rewarded. It's just amazing what's going on. There's this plan to hang Haman and the king secretly suspects Haman that possibly he wishes his death. And Haman comes the next morning and says, what should be done to a man who the king wishes to honor? 
And Haman thinks, oh, this is my lucky day. And he tells the king about wearing the king's cloak and the king's crown and being taken pranced around the town on his horse. And Ahasuerus is getting a little bit annoyed with this Haman. Like, it seems like Haman is like out to get the king. And he's seething. And he just, he's just disgusted by it. But right away, he commands Haman to do it all for Mordechai as a reward for saving his life. This is the beginning of the end of Haman. He is forced to honor his great enemy. He is forced to lead his enemy through the city, announcing the glory of Mordechai. And on top of it all, so his daughter, his own daughter, when the horse is being led through the street and she assumes that her father is sitting on the horse, she wants to throw garbage, which was actually like sewage, on top of Mordechai, who's probably pulling the horse. So she mistakes Haman for Mordechai and she throws this is sewer sewage on her father's head. And when she realizes what she did, she jumps from the roof of her home and she commits suicide. So now Haman is actually mourning for his daughter. Before he even has a, a chance to change, he is summoned back for the second party. And this is where Esther reveals that there is a plan to murder her and her entire nation. And Esther points at Haman, he is the man that wishes to kill the Jews. And Ahasuerus is fuming and Haman is begging for his life. And this is really when things turn around and this old decree that cannot be annulled is now annulled. And the Jews are given the opportunity to defend themselves against their enemies, which they were not given before. And they do so successfully. And ever since then, over 2000 years later, we are celebrating this festival year after year. So there is so, so much we could derive from this brilliant and complex story. There's so many insights here. One thing about Esther, the name Esther, she actually had two names, Esther and Hadassah, but the name tells us who she is, right? We know that the name is really the essence of a person. So the name Esther means hidden. And we actually do not see God's name written at all in the Megillah, at all right? Clearly the hand of God is there, but God is hidden. And Esther, her name means hidden. The other name she has, Hadassah, is the sweet smelling myrtle branch that's very fragrant. And it's compared to a righteous person whose deeds are so fragrant. Esther's complexion was somewhat green. Did you guys know that? Somewhat green like a myrtle branch, right? But Hashem granted her charm and she still found favor in the eyes of the king. I mean, greenish sounds like ill, She was ill. She was ill with the situation of the Jewish people, but she never lost her charm. So we have this beautiful Esther, one of the four beautiful women to be written down in Tanakh. It had exceptional beauty. And Esther remained silent at the hardest moments. Ahasuerus was trying so hard to figure out what nation she came from. And she is holding tight. And this is how the salvation unfolded because she kept quiet, even when it was very, very hard. Where does she get that strength from? It's from Rachel the Matriarch. The story of Rachel with her sister Leah, the night of her wedding, when the father Lavan deceives the husband Jacob and he switches Rachel out with her sister Leah. And Rachel stays silent in that moment and she is blessed forevermore. And this self sacrifice, this devotion, this effort is in our DNA. It is passed down from generation to generation. We know that we could do hard things. We have had amazing women that have come before us, incredible women of power and strength. 
And we see over here that these women that have come before us are really with us. It's all very, very powerful. So if I could sum it up, because there's, I mean, this Megillah, we could talk about this for a very, very long time. There is so much incredible hashgacha prati, the hand of God, divine intervention in this story and in our lives. We see that there is no such thing as coincident, no such thing at all. And we have a unique mission to fulfill. Just to sum it up, I'm going to say three things, three things for you to take into your Purim this year. So the number one lesson that I would see so clearly is the one thing we know is that we don't know. We don't have all the details. We don't know what the master plan is. That is so clear in the story. We try very, very hard. We buy house insurance, rental insurance, health insurance, pet insurance. We try to have some sense of security and control, but ultimately God is in charge, period. The next thing we see so clearly is the characters. Character traits make a huge difference. We have these ego-driven, lusting individuals in the Megillah. We have Haman and Ahasuerus and Vashti. Haman and Vashti, they end up killed because of their desire for honor. Always, it's always about honor, obsession about it versus Esther and Mordechai that stood in their humility the entire time. They didn't care about the perception, how things would unfold. They cared about doing the right thing in the moment. Esther could have gone down in history as someone that had an affair with Haman because when she took the chance of calling the king to a party just with him and Haman, Ahasuerus was a twisted, perverted man. He was not a moral individual. He could have said, well, what's going on? Why is she inviting Haman? What's going on between them? And he could have killed them both in a heartbeat just the way he killed his first wife. And she knew that. And it would have gone down in the books that she had an affair with the Hitler of that time, but she didn't care. She wanted to do what was right in the moment. It was not about her. There was something so much bigger. She couldn't care less. She didn't care less about what others think. That is not our religion. Our religion is not about what the neighbors think. It's about doing what is right. And then the third and last thing I'm going to end with is we have this beautiful idea this beautiful mitzvah of giving packages, mishloach manot, from one person to another. Now, this happened organically on the first Purim, even before we had the Megillah that told us, you should give mishloach manot. Jews were going after the salvation, after the miracles unfolded, Jews were going to their neighbors and saying, wow, here, take this. I want to give you a gift. And they were basically saying, I believe that we are alive today because of people like you. I believe that this redemption that we're ultimately still waiting for will come about because of people like you. And this is really what Mishloach Manot is all about. And we need to take these sentiments, these feelings, and let them fill our hearts and imagine a world of Ahavat Yisrael, of love between one fellow and another. That is what it is all about. I believe it's because of people like you. And that is really what the Jews did. There was so much love between man and man. We really, really healed. We came to a much better place with the Jewish people. Why? Because we started seeing ourselves as one. When Esther united us and said, okay, I'm going to risk my life, but you guys need to do your part. You need to stand with me. You need to come together. You need to pray. You need to fast. I can't do this alone. That's when we started getting into our greatest strength. When we 
can be united and we could come together in good times and bad times, that's when we are blessed and we are strong and God will create miracles for us. And just like we say, the Jews had light and joy and abundance and all these good things. So may it be for us. And that is the blessing I'm going to leave you guys with. Happy Purim. May we see miracles in our lives. Stay strong. Sending love. Thank you for being a part of our community. There is so much more coming your way. Stay tuned and have a great inspired day.